Okay. Welcome, everyone, to the latest session of Randos Read. Tonight, four randos are going to read Atlas Shrugged Part 1, Chapter 1, The Theme. And uh, welcome, everyone. You've got uh, Kyle, Carl, and Edward, and then me, Greg. And now in no particular to, uh, order. Yeah, in no particular order. <coughs> and it might be different randos every time. Although unlikely. Mostly the same randos. All right, so... Uh, so, yeah. Uh, Magnum well, Opus, Atlas Shrugged. So, who actually started reading this thing? Um, I think I actually did my homework for once. It was really good. I read it twice, but it was a couple weeks ago, so my memory won't be quite as crisp. Mm-hmm. And uh, I heard you did it too. And, I did. Uh, Carl I did read probably it, read it 20 times. Although only the once um, recently. It's been a long time since I read this. Yeah, same here. This is going to be. Uh, my, my goal for this one, is, uh, I think I was telling you guys before, is uh, to actually savor it this time, because in the past when I've gone through this book, it was just to read it so I could talk with others about it, and I uh, just wanted to get the ideas and analyze them, because I, I uh, entered the Randverse uh, through the nonfiction. And uh, so this time I'm just going to try to enjoy the art while yeah. we analyze all this stuff. Yeah, it's like I, I started pulling out some of the old... Um you know, symbolism, you know, sensitivity from my high school English classes. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's going to come out. Yeah. Uh, I have a few parallels, yeah. allegories, and the like. <clears throat> yeah. I get the feeling that over the 14 years she spent writing this, that she reworked it pretty heavily to uh, play with all sorts of things as she went. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, Edward, uh, let's see, one, Carl, how many times have you read this book? Upwards of 20. Okay, that counts. That's an order of magnitude more than me-ish. Yeah, more than me. I've read it. This time we're going to make it count. Two or three, all right, that's about the same as me. Uh, some some parts uh, a lot more heavily because in different crowds we talk about and analyze it and so on, stare at it really hard. Uh, this time, uh, for this journey, I've got uh, Dinoche's excellent Explore Alice Shrugged, which has lots of uh, summaries and questions that we can lean on to guide the conversation as we kind of chew on each chapter. The goal, uh, the goal that we have, everybody who's listening, is uh, to grind through this chewing on one chapter <coughs> per session. That may be impossible in a couple of cases that we don't want to spoil too much. But, um, yeah, we're just going to grind through, and if the session takes a little longer, fine. And if it's really desperate, maybe we'll break it into a couple. But uh, for today, the first chapter of the first section, the theme. Uh, all right. So, so. yeah, <laughs> that's a quick summary of yeah. both that. So what, what struck you? most about just reading this chapter i'm i'm curious you know in in the context of you know we have read the book before we generally know where things are going oh yeah as a policy thing do are we going to try to avoid spoilers as we go or are we going to be like come on it's a classic everybody's read it and and go ahead and talk about stuff in the future we can let the mystery hang in there or not yeah i don't know it's kind of hard Hmm. To, to not make, could, uh, 
you know, sort of forward references. But, I mean, maybe yeah. we don't necessarily have to jump immediately to spoilers. Yeah. Uh, if we could, here, here's a technique that we might shoot for. I mean, maybe we won't be perfect at it, but um, uh, Penn and Teller, the, the bad boy magicians, they, uh, they have a show called Fool Us. And in it, they have uh, professional magicians coming in trying to do their very best to fool Penn and Teller. And Penn and Teller need to be able to call them out in real time on the stage in front of the audience. And they, they need to do it in a way that won't give away the trick because that's, that's really not what they do, except in really select ways. So they speak in code. Like uh, uh, if, if, if a force is happening, like a card force, that's, that's a technique that's in magic, they might start talking about Star Wars and Luke and the force. So maybe we could use code words and hints and inside jokes to uh, uh, hint at things, spoilers that we might want to mention to each other, but uh, shroud it just a little bit for somebody listening. Uh, another technique is uh, if there's some character that might be real or not, um, we can just emphasize, well, this could be a mythological character we're talking about here, but this is what I think's up with the nature of that character. And and just not confirm key uh, key realities. You know, we can give it a shot. Uh, oh, so to answer your question, um, part of it was the tone, uh, pretty bleak. We're yeah. in a world in decline, and, and the- we're meeting a cast of characters. They're all being lined up, and we're being given. Some, some broad swipes of, of the way these people roll. And uh, it's, it's yeah. kind of interesting. Oh, and then there's the theme, which uh, to me it was just screaming. that like, yeah, she's, she's laying out the theme and, uh, and having fun with words too because yeah. the theme I mean, of the concerto is going by in the same chapter. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels like, yeah, she's setting up a lot of pieces here. You know the the characters are already kind of dividing into uh, into categories. Mm-hmm. You know, you you read it and it's it's like, you know, Eddie and and Dagny, you know, and um, Kellogg, um, you know, kind of belong together. Um, you know, you get the impression Reardon is going to be in that that same group, and yeah. then you've got, you know. People like you know Jim, and by implication, I think Orrin Boyle, um, and Pop. You know, the other side, yeah, and, they, and there are ancillary characters that barely even have a name that are uh, sort of in between sometimes, or mixed, muddled, yeah. where they like they've given up, like the the, the guy with the typewriter, he's, mm-hmm. he's really not, he, he's given up, he's he's collapsed, yeah. But, he doesn't seem like he's uh, at the level of a uh, of like Jim, right? But not not useful, and he's it, it not kind useful. of yeah. yeah. But it 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 kind of fits into the the theme of um, you know, like a, a world that's running down, um, you know, in in various ways. And there's you know, there are people who are fighting against that, um, you know, but symbolically, you know, there's there's a problem there. I mean, I, I think there's an interesting analogy between the, um, you know, the metaphor of the tree that uh, that Eddie describes, um, you know, the, yeah. that, that looked strong uh, from the outside but had, um, 
a uh, you know had its core eaten out, yeah. you know, unbeknownst yeah. to him. And then when he moves from the sort of the the running down you know streets of New York into the Taggart Transcontinental Building, you know, which is similarly something that you know looks you know strong and efficacious, and yet we immediately see that there is a rot at the heart of it in the office of the CEO. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's it, and I was seeing it also. Uh, there's the betrayal of the tree being actually weak and hollow and rotten, mm-hmm. and yeah, he, he didn't connect it to what's going on with with Taggart. He feels great about Taggart Transcontinental and mm-hmm. uh, how it makes him feel. And then there's the world at large. What's going on in the world? Um, the center's not. It's things are collapsing. Things are weak. It used to be nice. Now it's not. Mm-hmm. Although it's it's clearly been going on, you know, for a long time and slowly. Um, yeah. You know the you know the description line about you know how much you like seeing a prosperous um, you know retail street with you know no more than a quarter of the businesses shuttered. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. actually one of the questions that goes by. It's like, hey, uh, uh, where is it? Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to try to grab it here. Yeah, I think it's in the teacher's guide. Yeah, why is a prosperous street one on which only one in four stores is closed? Yeah. Well, then there's also the uh, gilded uh, spire that is lost half gilding, which uh, takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's clearly, yeah, it's like maintenance is being cut short. With with regards to the whole prosperous street thing, I do have to ask, uh, you know, when's the last time you walked through a shopping mall post-COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it seems like, I, I wonder if shopping malls are really more of an 80s phenomenon. That this is, it's going away. Well, the mix is, of stores is certainly very different uh, than they were when, you know, I was a teenager in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so here I can yeah, but but the same kind of thing where you know you're you're walking through the mall and there's a lot of stretches at least in in the mall near where I live that you know is like you know closed you know with a, a big you know paneling you know in front of it uh, you know some of which are announcing specific new retailers that are moving in and some of which are generic. Yeah. You know. There's some space we hope somebody will use. Yeah. yeah. Or I mean the way they they phrase it I think the. The one I remember had something, you know, painted on it like, you know, exciting new retailer coming soon. And it's like, how wonderfully specific. (laughs) It's like, you know, tell me you haven't signed a lease for this retail space without telling me that you haven't signed a lease for this retail space. Yeah. (laughs) Um, They'll be exciting when they do, though. Oh, I'm sure, yes. Um, But again, you know, that, that particular line, you know, I think, May have a few more teeth in it today than it did when it was written. Yeah. <laughs> so um, here, if we can, yeah, we can or, actually some of the things you're yeah, sure or in, a, in, a, uh, in a sense maybe may losing its teeth because I could imagine you know a 16 year old today you know reading that line and going, yep, that's a prosperous street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so um, to, to sort of structure our conversation, which we can bounce off into a lot of these subtopics from, uh, here's a quick bit. Uh, we've got a breakdown of 
chapter one into a couple of sections. Let's see, one, two, three, four sections. And um, just a little two-sentence summary of each one. So like uh, section one, Eddie Willers walks through the streets of New York City to Taggart Transcontinental. We've been talking about that. Mm-hmm. There he meets with its president, Jim Taggart, who we mentioned is um, probably not in the good category of people, about the poor state of the track of the Rio Norte line. And he speaks with Pop Harper. That's the typewriter guy I mentioned. Right. So um, they had the core questions uh, that Diana picked out are, uh, what is the state of the world? What is Eddie's response to it? How is that world similar to and different from the world of today? And so I mean, in the first did any okay. of you catch the biblical uh, allusion? Oh, sorry. I said in this first section with Eddie's walk, uh, to uh, the CEO's office. Did you guys catch the biblical illusion? I don't know. Uh, what would you pick up? Well, you remember uh, Eddie looking at the calendar that's supplied oh, by the state? Yes. That's a biblical illusion? Uh, yes. Actually, the book of Daniel, chapter 5. Huh. They, uh, they put a... Uh, you know, a big billboard up over Jerusalem or something? <laughs> no, actually, this, 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 this took place in, uh, this took place in, uh, Babylon. Uh, you probably have heard of the handwriting on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, 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 that comes out of Daniel, uh, chapter five. Your days are numbered. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. T- tonight, your kingdom shall be given to the, per- to the Persians. Excuse me, to the to the um, Medes and Persians. In other words, it was a it was a symbol of ultimate collapse. Mm. So she kind of stuck that in there as what you would call um, foreshadowing. Yeah, very smooth. Yeah. All right. Well, I think um, the, the biblical illusion makes it a little bit more pointed, I guess, because, I mean, even if you miss that, you know, it still, you know, has that sense of, you know, a clock running down. And, yes. you know, just yeah. the, the, the general theme that, you know, there's sort of a, like a, a finite supply of some vital resource that's being burned through, and when it's gone, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything's done. Yeah. So we sort of covered that first one. Uh, what does Eddie want to communicate to Jim in this meeting? So he hits Jim up. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, don't bother me. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. It's Jim's response to his entrance. Um, <laughs> Before he's yeah. even attempted to bother him with anything in particular. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jim yeah. is... Uh, Jim is very hard to pin down. Um, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want to commit to things. Uh, he's definitely like, oh, I didn't say that. No, I didn't say the opposite either. I didn't say anything. We're still studying. Why do you have to uh, change things? Why do you have to worry about these decisions now? We're fine. Let's just keep kicking the can down the road. He's a. Uh, uh, I, I, what the big word screaming at me during all of this was evasion. He's evading his responsibilities. He's evading making decisions. 
he's evading uh, just even the nature of his business and how it's how things are crumbling, uh, e- evading the uh, the contract to to fix it. He, he's he, he doesn't. Uh, his concern is not actually making it work. Yeah, it's I mean, you know, more second-handed about yeah, it. Like yeah, you, you loop it back to the fountainhead, and he seems much more concerned about what's going on in the minds of other people than what's going on in the world. Yeah, they can't blame me. It's like, well, this wasn't about blame. We need to fix this railroad, dude. Yeah. What's what's more? What's the most important thing here? CYA. Yeah. Oh, and I forgot about Ellis yeah. Wyatt as a character who belongs in sort of the the bucket with Eddie and Dagny. Yeah. Uh, Ellis uh, Wyatt was the cause of the Rio Norte line because of his oil fields, I think. Or at least he's he's the reason why it's so important now. Yeah. Yeah. It needs to be there, and um, Dagny's convinced that there's yeah. going to be a much greater need. So. They yeah, need to rebuild down there. Yeah, it's not entirely clear to me whether, you know, it, it seems like the Rio Norte line may have been there before, you know, and was, you know, decaying along with everything else, but it wasn't a big deal because there was nothing really coming out of Colorado until, you know, Ellis Wyatt showed up. And then all of a sudden the line was no longer adequate to need, and that's what gave that other railroad, the the Phoenix Durango, you know, an inn. Yeah. Because so, suddenly there was a, there was a market need that uh, the Taggart Transcontinental was not meeting, and Ellis Wyatt wasn't yeah. willing to sit around and wait. And uh, Jim is resentful of 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 that of the competitor. They uh, they stole that business, and uh, I think Eddie pointed out he was like, no, they. They've been covering ten times the business. I mean, they didn't, uh, there was plenty of business. They're just using them because they get the, the job done. Um, oh, uh, what is the story of El, uh, Ellis Wyatt? Uh, she asks. What is Eddie's view of him, and how and why does that differ from Jim's view? Yeah, I mean, Eddie seems to admire him as you know someone yeah. who has essentially you know, brought an entire industrial state into existence, you know, I don't want to quite say by sheer willpower, but... Um, uh, productive genius, I'll give him that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, oh, for people who haven't read this in detail, uh, Ellis Wyatt, he, he found a way to make a... Um, he, invented, he, invented, he invented fracking. He invented fracking, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She didn't know that it was going to be called fracking, but it's a way to make depleted oil wells active again, and it's waking up Colorado. Uh, okay, so and uh, Jim absolutely despises him, resents him, and uh, seems to resent him a, for the same the same kind of reasons that um, that Eddie admires him for. Yeah, although also, you know, I think resents him. For the fact that he he creates a situation that Jim has to figure out how to respond to, right? It's like you know, Taggart Transcontinental can't just keep going through the motions the way they did before and have things work out. Ellis Wyatt has changed things, and yeah. because he has changed things, you know, they need to figure out how to respond 
you know, to this, you know, different world. And that's what Jim resents the need to do. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, um, uh, the impression I got was that the Rio Norte line is falling into disrepair. So that needs to be fixed. And maybe they didn't care because there wasn't a lot of business down there before Ella Wyatt got going. But now, yeah, it's, it's booming and they're unable to participate. Um, the phrase, uh, who is John Galt opened, uh, the book, the very first, uh, uh, was it one, two, three, four words. And, uh, it, it has, it appears several times. Uh, yeah, and an odd what little. What does it mean at this stage? An odd little bromide. Yeah. It's like in their culture, this just means, uh, you know, who's to say, who, who can ask it? It's a, here's a question that nobody can answer. Who is John Gold? It's, it's an odd, it's an nobody odd knows. sort of, yeah, it's an odd kind of mixture of, um, you know, que sera without the, uh, you know, without the good-heartedness, um, yeah, you know, it's like what it's, what can it's like what ignorance with despair, you know, <laughs> what what you know what what can you do? Yeah, it's like yeah, the, it is a bit of a what what can one do? What yeah, can one what do? do? <laughs> it's like when you know, yeah, he just kind of, but it it's got more of a more of a negative tinge to it than that. It's not, you know, like. Because yeah, there are some things where you know that is a legitimate response, like well, you know, what what can you do? <laughs> it's like, you know, in you know objectivist philosophical terms, you know, one doesn't complain about the metaphysically given; one accepts it and and works with it. Yeah. yeah. Here it seems to show up not just where you've identified something that you can't do anything about; it also covers mysteries and just desperate circumstances. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. There's there's a sort of a feeling of of profound helplessness associated with the phrase. Yes, it's like manana, but without the hope. <laughs> yeah, it is like uh um yeah, say la vie. Hopeless, say la vie. <laughs> yeah. Really hopeless. Um, okay, so then Dagny makes the scene. She shows up after, uh, well, should we talk about the, her, her, sh- Dagny's entrance is kind of fun because she's the woman actually running the railroad, not Jim. Jim's the head. She's the brain, the uh, will, something. Uh, she's very efficacious. Jim really resents her too. Um, and her intro was, we caught her, uh, spacing out to somebody whistling while she was riding one of the trains. And she suddenly realized, uh, that sounds like Hallie's, uh, a Hallie concerto. I've never heard it though. And I, you know, she adores his music, knows every note he ever wrote, didn't recognize that. Asks the guy that she realizes was just whistling it, even though she had apparently built up a whole orchestration in her head because she was so taken with it. It's a, an amazing theme. Um, and uh, he's, like, he's like, oh, yeah, the fifth. She's like, wait, 
No, he only wrote four. And he's like, oh, oh sorry. You're right. <laughs> Made a mistake. Clams up. shuts down. He was happy sharing this, and, and he just immediately shut down. Uh, oh, yeah. Why does the brakeman watch her tensely as uh, she whistles the theme she overheard? Later, she's uh, walking off whistling it without even realizing. And he's watching tensely. Some secret. Oh, that's a mystery. We don't know. I guess we can't. We're not going to. We're not going to spoil that. It's yeah. Same kind of thing as uh, Owen Kellogg quitting. She realized that she didn't have um, because of the the stoppage that she was a part of. She needed to reorganize some uh, some department. And Owen Kellogg, one of the names we do need to be able to remember, uh, he was going to promote him even though he wasn't quite ready. Uh, because he, he he was one of the the really quality people, and uh, she called him in when when she after she had met with Jim, got back. She was like, "Oh yeah, uh, send him up." Because Eddie mentioned that he, uh, Owen wanted to talk with her. She's like, "Yes, I want to talk with him too. So Offer him a big job, big promotion." And he quit for no reason. Well, presumably he has a reason. Yeah, he has a reason, but he absolutely refused to divulge it. I have, it's personal. It's a personal reason. No, nothing the company did, you did, no event involving the company. There's nothing here. Oh, what are you going to, what, what railroad are you going to go work for? Not going to work for a railroad. What are you going to do? Haven't made a plan yet. Uh, this had to be an incredibly frustrating conversation. And, uh, her offer, which would be a stellar offer, bounced off him like it was absolutely meaningless. Even though he, he, he the reason he met her, uh, he was like, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I met with you. I probably uh, sent the wrong message that I, I could be persuaded to stay. You could, you know, beat some offer that I'd gotten. But really, I, I just met with you because I, uh, I didn't, I promised that I would meet with you before I left. And that's the yeah. only reason I'm meeting with you. Right. I mean, Kellogg comes across as a very sort of thoughtful, you know, honest and principled guy, and yet yeah. there's, there's nothing she can offer him, which is odd. Yeah, she was like, literally, write your own ticket. What do you yeah. want? Anything. Yep. And the like, implication I, is I she has, yep, she has, well, or at least the implication is she has that. nothing to offer him. He seemed a little bit sad about it at one point, but uh, it was the circumstance that made him sad, not uh, not missing out on her amazing offer or anything like that. He didn't, yeah. This goes in the bucket of mysteries. So some of the mysteries are who is Jean Galt. Uh, yeah. We've got the the Halley's Fifth Concerto, maybe um, the yeah. the Brakeman. And yeah. Owen Kellogg, both exhibiting the same kind of postures, uh, yeah. attention. Yeah, that, attitude. there was one other, you know, thing I wanted to just sort of point out or note, um, in passing about the bit where the train, uh, gets stuck on the siding is that you, you have people there who seem to be competent in the sense of doing you know, their own immediate jobs. You know, the guy who drives the train, you know, knows how to drive the train, you know, drives it safely, you know, follows signal instructions. But what they don't do is deal with the unexpected. Yeah, or, or they 
they've been beaten down. And the impression I got was like, oh, yeah, well, why, why are we stopped? The light's red. Well, I'm pretty sure it's broken. Why are we moving then? Because it's, the light's red, and if red. I, I'm not going to stick my neck out. Neck out. I, yeah, well, I go. That, well, that was wrong, the interesting thing is that it, hammered. it seemed like, I mean, some of them were just, you know. Passive. Passive. It, it's like you know we're 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 out we're outside of my flowchart, so I'm not going to do anything. And there, you know, were some people who were like the the one you were describing, who were like, I know this is nonsensical, but I also know that if I do anything, you know, I'm more likely to be punished for it than rewarded. Yeah, he's like, my job is to stop when it's red, <laughs> and she's like, no, your job is to get it there on time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and then that's uh, uh, that none of the people talking with her knew that that was yeah. her because she was she yeah. didn't announce herself. She was writing coach. Yeah. Well, it's it's like the um, the the tension that you have in modern, you know, like real world company management between uh, process and goal. You know, you have um, you know employees who you know, will see, you know, a goal that the company has and they will think creatively about how to achieve that goal. And you have employees who are like, this is the process that we follow. And whether it's actually productive or not is beside the point. This is the process. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, yeah, a good parallel. So, yeah, she, she had to um, essentially introduce the leadership needed to get past the jam. She's like, okay, proceed. You know, yeah. And, and then, stop, do this and that. And he's like, are you going to take uh, responsibility for this? Because I want to stick my yeah. neck out. And she's like, yes, I will. Yeah. And then there's the, um, I guess, the, the third category of, you know, malicious compliance, which is where you have an employee who thinks creatively about how to use the process in order to create the maximum amount of damage to the goals of the company. Or uh, hopefully they're not doing it just to hurt the company, maybe just to help themselves, irrespective of whether it helps the company. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Although, well, I mean that's uh, a pretty oh, good I'm not sure foreshadowing. <laughs> well, I mean that's a pretty that's a pretty good description of my attitude towards my employer's return to office policy. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, I I want this whether or not it hurts the company. Well, you know, more like, okay, they want me to go into the office three days a week, fine, I will do that, but I will, you know, figure out a way to do that that causes the maximum possible damage to my productivity. Oh, uh, because they need to understand the lesson of, like, where I'm sitting shouldn't be the thing you're worried about? No, because I am playing a negative-sum game with my employer. Why? Same, you know, I'll tell you what I told my manager when he asked me that question. Spite. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I've known you for a couple of decades. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> All right. Um, so, um, 
And I mean, yes, I, I suppose yeah, you, you could you could kind of look at, at that as uh, as foreshadowing for the behavior of certain other characters in the novel. Yeah, I, I do see a, a chance for that to be a foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, all right, so we we get to see Dagny solving a problem out there on the tracks. She assesses it. She finds a way through it. Gives the orders. Takes the responsibility. Moves on, and then yeah. whistles a tune as she takes a little nap. Yeah, and then she also she, she's clearly thinking. Um, you know, she also, as uh, I think was pointed out, she doesn't seem to care much at all about public presentation or what other people think of her. You know, the way that she is, for example, traveling incognito because it was just more efficient. Yeah, she's like, I didn't have time to let, announce that I was going to be here, and there was no room on the in the in the fancy car, so I just needed to get to where I was getting. Um, and that uh, and that resonates with the uh, the more competent of the, the employees that she was interacting with. Um, then there's uh, her interaction with Jim uh, later right. when she gets well, back to the office. Right. Well, I, I think it's it's worth pointing out too that even you know the you know some of the employees who were not themselves solving the train problem, you know, express genuine admiration for her when they found out who she was. Yeah. Yeah. But that's her, who she did have a reputation. Yeah, that's who runs Taggart Transcontinental. That's the the vice president in charge of operations. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, and that contrasts, for example, with Jim's attitude towards Ellis Wyatt. You know, Jim Jim seems to to dislike Ellis Wyatt because Ellis Wyatt is good at his job. You know. And it might suggest uh, the same thing's happening with him and Dagny, too. He, he, he doesn't like that she's so good at her job. Yeah, but the, you have these, you know, these other train workers who, you know, in some ways they feel like Jim. You know, they're they're not, you know, they see the problem and they don't try to engage with it. They don't try to solve it. They're not, you know, thinking and, and yeah. pursuing goals. But at the same time... They, they, it's a they don't more have, defensible in their case. They don't have the authority to do things. So well, it, but I, I would, in their case. right? But I was making a sort of the psychological point that you know they don't have Jim's negativity. Yeah. In in some ways, you could you could look at it as, you know, Jim wants to live in a world in which he doesn't have to think and act and solve problems. Yeah, there's a malicious tinge to his his attitude that's not attitude, in these others, which is not found. Yes, in these other characters, they they seem more like they they wish that they lived in that kind of a world, just sort of wistfully, but they don't really think it's possible. But when they see glimpses that kind of look like it, they still respond. Yeah, yeah, that's that resonance I was I was thinking we were seeing. Yeah, it's a. They think that world is possible, and it would be cool, and it's wonderful when they see a glimpse of it here like and there. These action, but yeah, but they're but not they're going. Not. But they're not going to do anything themselves. Yeah, uh, the best of them was like, yeah, I can't. I, I'm happy to do it. Can't stick my neck out. You can take responsibility. Okay, great. I'm going to go do it. Um, the same thing happens with Jim, although uh, not in such a positive way. When she gets back to the office, she meets with uh, Jim to, again, uh, talk about what uh, uh, that Eddie was talking about, of the need to fix the line. And uh, she's like, oh, yeah, um, the rail's on the way. Uh, she, 
she unilaterally killed off um, uh, a, a bad rail contract and replaced it with a, a one from Reardon Steel, another person who's uh, uh, Reardon is another efficacious guy. And uh, not just his steel, it's his new um, uh, fancy metal that has just come on the market. And uh, Jim very much resented that. But it was the good call for the uh, the business. And similar to the railroad workers out out on out in the field, ultimately she's like he he was like uh, well are you going to take responsibility for this? I don't know what I'm going to tell the board. And she's like yes I will and I don't care. Mm, yeah, direct contrast with Jim. I mean Jim cares about you know what any random person it seems like might think of uh, of what mm-hmm. he does. And yeah. Oh, and his reaction to the the new metal um, was showing a lot of that secondhandedness as well. Of like, well, whose opinion are you relying on? <laughs> I assessed it myself. Uh, uh, but there's a lot of people who are worried about you know whether it's actually safe. So like, I've seen the testing. Why don't we have to be first? On and on. So yeah. Um, why uh, uh one of the questions from the uh Atlas Shrug oh. guide a different source was why does the why does Jim, the president, mm. seem so oblivious to the company's problems? He seems to I'm be focused sure on a completely oblivious. He he doesn't seem to be oblivious exactly. I think he doesn't care. He's fine. It it'll, it always finds a way through. No, he's, he's assuming that he, I mean, he, he kind of. Somehow. I mean, he he kind of cares. Um, as long as as long as he isn't blamed, we uh, you can't blame me. It's like, well, yeah, but we're still crumbling. Yeah, but yeah. you can't blame. Well, me. well, like when when Dagny points out that the Mexican government is going to be nationalizing the San Sebastian line, that gets an oh, emotional yeah. reaction out of him. Yes, it does. You know, in in denial. That's a dirty damn lie. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, clearly, at I mean, you don't get that kind of a, a reaction if he doesn't care at some level about something. Yeah. Actually, it, it's uh, interesting. I'm thinking the, react, the reaction, his reaction to like, you know, don't say that. It's almost like just saying it is what's going to make it happen. Yeah, you might jinx it. No, this is obviously happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it it feels like, you know, Dagny um in some ways has his number. You know, I love the yeah. bit where they're talking about weird metal and you know, she says, you know, I know everything you're going to say. Nobody's ever used it before, nobody approves, nobody's interested in it, nobody wants it, you know, we're still using it. Yeah. You know, and then the first thing out of his mouth. Immediate first thing out of his mouth is, but nobody's ever used it before. <laughs> <laughs> Which um in uh in in our current day that happens regularly uh online. You see, it's like, oh yeah, we know exactly how this is going to go. You're racist. Yes, sure, exactly. Yeah, it's like yeah. Nazis. Yeah. We're yep. surrounded by Nazis. Yeah. Try again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah. You know, the only thing these charges do is demonstrate that you're a moral and intellectual imbecile. Yes. 
Um, looking for other angles that we can dive in on here. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Be better. What's that? I mean, what can we really say about at this point about why Jim is the way that he is, why he seems so oblivious? Because I mean, there's, it seems like there's a sense in which he is aware that there are problems, but at the same time, he doesn't seem to want to really admit that there are problems or do anything or about engage them. Engage in fixing them. Yeah. Maybe, so it's maybe not, he's such a political animal, he thinks that he's got it covered in a political sense. I can't be blamed. I'm doing a bigger deal somewhere. Uh, playing a game of schedule chicken, it's like, well, I'm not responsible because that rail hasn't been delivered. So it's okay if this line is crumbling. It's not my fault. That rail hasn't been delivered. Like well, so, so, so his focus is on not being blamed for problems rather than on fixing them? Yeah. So uh, he has to answer to the board, right? The board's going to be like, why is this? Why is this line crumbling? Well, the rail didn't come. That's not my fault. It's Orrin Boyle's fault. Yeah, although Dagny seems to imply that Jim has the board in his pocket rather than the other way around. Well, I was or, just making up a theory. Yeah, or at the very least that, yeah, and I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm poking a hole in your theory. <laughs> yeah, it, it may not be. I'm just trying to think of what what we should take if if we were reading this book with completely new eyes what should we yeah. take yeah cuz it's like cuz in this first chapter it's right cuz I mean, weird right cuz i mean i know the answer to that but it's you know it's a spoiler yeah, we're not allowed we don't want to give it away <laughs> too much yet it it is a mystery well, story and it's cool to watch the mystery on, unfold on the first read is that jim's kind of a putz <laughs> <laughs> yeah i yeah. hear an interesting thing people when when they were asked to describe him, they described this fat, flabby, horrible guy. And it's like, no, actually, if you go back and read, he's he's built like an aristocrat. He's tall and elegant. He's not fat. It's funny how um, psychologically, um, he he uh, people store him as something other than what he was actually described as. I'm not sure where I heard that anecdote, but it was. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, is the first question in the teacher's guide connected to the second in the sense of, you know, it's like the reason why Jim seems so oblivious to the company's problems is tied to the difference between his attitude and Dagny's towards business and problem solving, you know, because Dagny is. Dagny seems very fact oriented. You know, she's always going back yeah. to, you know, look, you know, it's like what's real, what works. I, I've seen things out there, not. you know, out there in the world, you know, the, um, you know, there's, you know, this much economic demand, you know, for rail transport in Colorado. The line that we have to provide it is shot. In order to repair the line, we need rails. In order to get the rails, we have to go to a reliable supplier. Yeah. There, there's, yeah. you know, there, there's a factual focus and a a logical chain of inference and reasoning going on there. Um, whereas Jim's attitude towards business seems to be, God, I'm not even sure. We will muddle through or something. I'm not. Or that, I'm, that not it, sure. I'm not sure what we're being that, told. That, that, that I'll, I'll do it, a deal. I mean, it almost seems like he thinks that the actual productive processes of business should be automatic 
that it's it's almost a personal insult to him when they don't function automatically. Oh, maybe that really is it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, he, he has this, this, you know, reaction, you know, where it's, it's like, you know, if, you know, if only it weren't for Ellis Wyatt, we wouldn't have to do anything in, in Colorado. If only it oh, weren't for yeah, the Phoenix Durango. changing we, the, the facts on the ground, yeah. We, we wouldn't have to do anything. Um, like the, the goal is just, you know, we had this business. It was running fine. Now it isn't running fine. That's got to be someone else's fault. Oh, and it is. He identified them. Like yeah, yeah. those guys stole our business, and that guy expanded his business. And... Yeah, and it's not fair. And, and and this Reardon guy is an awful lot like that uh, the Owen Kellogg guy because he's super productive too. And uh, why can't we just wait for my friend Oren Boyle to send the rail, you know, two years late or eighteen months or whatever it was? Um, yeah, who knows how much longer it would be? Yeah, um, that was another uh, little wrinkle in there. It's like, oh well, you can't hit Reardon Steela for that because. Everybody piling on for that much steel, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm going with the new alloy. No problem." Yeah, which again is a factual orientation thing, as she said. You know, I looked at the tests. You know, I looked at yeah. the samples. You know, I'm not uh, I'm I'm not filtering my conclusions through anyone else's judgment. Yeah, and she's um, already calculated it into. Um, uh, lifetime cost in, in their own business, where it's like, oh, yeah, this stuff is going to last longer, wear better. Uh, she had a plan for which parts could be reclaimed from the ailing line, how, they, how fast they could replace stuff. She's, it's like she's got it mapped out in her head. Um, none of this is in Jim's head. Yeah. Other than wanting to resist it. Yeah. I mean, Jim is, Jim is obviously what you know, we today would call a political CEO. And any good-sized company, I guess they all are. They tend to be politicians at that level, but uh, increasingly so, yeah. But I mean, you you contrast him with someone like uh, Rockefeller, for example, who you know reportedly was you know down, you know going you know around the factory floor, you know understood all the details of all of the work that was going on. Yeah. Or our latest bad boy, uh, Elon Musk, again down on the floor in everybody's business. Not, I think, in the factory. <laughs> yeah, not, I think, always as knowledgeable of all of the details as Rockefeller may have been, because the businesses are far more complex uh, today. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's there is a very legitimate sense today in which somebody running, you know, a very large corporation could not possibly have a detailed understanding of everything that's done you know, by everyone in the company, nor should they be expected to, because division of labor. <laughs> yes. Um, but you should at least be able to, you know, fit it into a a general structure, you know, a, a synoptic view of the whole. Yes. And I certainly don't get the impression that Jim can do that. You know, the the notion of Jim having a business strategy. He, he doesn't really seem like that kind of guy. 
Well, his no. business strategy is uh, to basically make business decisions that appeal to his friends in Washington. His, his peers, the Washington guys, the board. Yeah, yes. it's uh, back to being a political animal. In other words, um, in terms of that, he's a second-hander. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, the the whole, you know, who, you know, whose opinion did you check about Reardon Metal thing, you know, is, you know, pure quill second-handed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fun, fun to read. And, yeah, the, the, the funniest moment was the, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> this, 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 this. Yeah, I need it. Um I think that uh, we've we've managed to uh, cycle through most of uh, the questions and sections yeah. more randomly. Uh, oh, uh, here's. Uh, did, did you have anything chapter. good from? Did you have anything good from Diana's book? Or yeah, that's what I've actually been skimming through, checking. Mm-hmm. Um, we have covered uh, all of the sections that she was breaking out. Uh, the first one was uh, Eddie walking through the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Second was Dagny uh, coming back to New York after inspecting the line and uh, hearing the whistling on the on the line and bonding with the people running it. And then finally, uh, she uh, uh, meets with Jim. In section uh, section three. She's just arriving in the in the terminal. Uh, oh yeah, here. Uh, what's her What's her as opposed to Eddie's emotional response upon entering the terminal when she got there? How does she feel about her work? Hmm. I mean, my recollection is that Eddie kind of views Taggart Transcontinental as a fortress or a shield. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, source of strength and safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where Whereas Dagny views it as almost a um a living organism you know an engine you know, like like an an engine of production she she sees it in terms of activity mm-hmm. definitely not static um so then uh, that transitions very quickly to uh section 4 was uh, her meeting with Jim, where she's telling him about the metal and all that fun back and forth. And then, uh, and we've talked about all of those things. Finally, for the whole chapter, maybe we can wrap up with this, about the right amount of time. Um, what's the significance of the title of the chapter, the theme? Who is John Galt? <laughs> so we've got, who is John Galt for the opening? We have Hallie's Fifth Concerto's theme being talked about a, many a literal times. theme. Yes. A literal theme. Yeah. And then, of course, the theme of the book being uh, laid out, hinted at, shown to us at least in some form. Yeah. I mean, the chapter begins and ends with the same words, which is kind of interesting. Oh, I didn't I notice that. That's the theme. <laughs> we don't well, know what it means, right? I, I only paid attention to it opening the chapter. That's funny. Yeah, it's like, so, you know, just to really hammer it home to you, the, I mean, yeah. 
pretty much. <laughs> in in a, in a sense, um, and you know, maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler. Yeah, who is John Galt? Is the theme of the book. Um. Hmm. <laughs> okay. I'll allow it. Fair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is that is fair. <laughs> something else. Something else to look at is. The expression of the guy that said it at the beginning, her description of the guy who said it in the beginning, and her description of the guy that said it in the end. Yeah. Was it Kellogg? Uh, was it Owen Kellogg who said it? It's Owen oh. Kellogg at the end. He he would say it. Uh, he he would and did say it in a different way. Yeah. I think the text is yeah. He shrugged and smiled. He was alive for a moment, and it was the strangest smile she had ever seen. It held secret amusement and heartbreak and an infinite bitterness. Man, for someone who has English not as a first language, she could do a turn of phrase. Mm. Uh, uh, So, yes. um, As this unfolds... Bounce back uh yeah the uh at the beginning of the chapter the bum who says it um yeah said it simply without expression um yeah. without yeah simply without expression uh yellow glints caught his eyes and the eyes looked straight at Eddie mocking and still as if the question had been addressed to the causeless uneasiness within him okay now go 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 down about uh, five paragraphs when he's no longer in the shadow, and read her description. The face of Windcraft. Round, cut by lines of weariness and cynical resignation, the eyes were intelligent. So this isn't just someone who's given up. This is someone who apparently... Oh, it's not a collapsed person. Wow, we have to read this one again before we come back. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have a new assignment. I think um, favorite passages, as well as you know, we have the array of questions and summaries in these helpful books, um, but maybe a, a few key passages that we got something cool out of. Hmm. And well, uh, I, I'm actually looking forward to this. If we hear from anybody who's uh, who's reading along for the first time. Um, I remember when my wife actually, when she was reading it, I got to watch her read it. Um, the the mystery was eating away at her. She was like, "Is is this character real or some kind of mythical thing? What's going on here?" And and she was demanding an answer, uh, you know, way into the book. And I'm like, I can't say. <laughs> I just can't say either way. Um, she didn't like not knowing. She, uh, I've caught her more than a couple times. She will read the final couple pages of a book so that she knows how it's going to resolve and she can enjoy the journey without all the anxiety. <laughs> this one, I, I told her, do not do that. That will, that will take so much of the fun out of this book. Yeah. I don't know that I have a particular passage that stood out to me. You know, one of the things oh, that... The the one you relate, I thought was great. Uh, the I know what you're going to say bit. Yeah. 
that's a, a fun one. I mean, Rand, there, there's a certain kind of dialogue that is very characteristic of Rand that's this sort of rapid back and forth, um, you know, generally between one of her, you know, more rational characters and one of the less rationals, where the the less rational is saying, but you can't possibly, you know, mean, you know, blah. It's like, yes, I do. But I do. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, like, listening to a, uh, watching a, a, a mammoth um, screenplay or play. He has a certain way of doing dialogue, very snappy and uh, mm-hmm. not the way normal people could possibly sustain. Yeah. Um, but and, still, it works. Yeah, and, I mean, ran ran. You know, it, it's a very signature part of her style, and it's one that you can see in, you know, replicated uh, generally without the same flair in, you know, work by uh, other writers who were influenced by her but are not, I think, as talented. Um, mm. You know, it's like when, you know, it, it, it's a common thing if somebody's in effect doing a, a Rand pastiche. <laughs> You know, they they get that 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 same kind of you know back and forth cadence, but um, Chat GPT, give me an argument between a Randian hero and a lout. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see if it can pull it off. Yeah. All right. Well, any other uh, parting shots, or shall we put a pin in this one and we can uh, uh, <laughs> read the next the chapter? Yeah, go off and read the next chapter. I'm actually looking forward to it. This this new plan of actually savoring it and enjoying it, I like this. Going once, going twice. All right, everybody who might be listening along, we're moving on to Chapter 2. See you next time. <laughs>